Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And of course, they have Junior Bergen t-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to FCS Speculators, a betting podcast, playoff-seated edition. Uh, I am Ryan Tutel with ESPN Radio in Missoula. Great to be with you. Colton Juanez, obviously, as always, going to be along with us here uh, as well. But this episode, one of two episodes this week, this Thanksgiving week, as we get you set for the playoffs at the FCS level, a great time of year. The other podcast, uh, which you can also listen to, sets up all of the first-round games. Uh, We have gotten as many people who cover teams of those 16 teams playing in the first round of the FCS playoffs as possible to set those up for you, make picks, give you some information from people who know. Uh, And in this one, we are going to hear from somebody who covers each and every team that received a seed and thus a buy in the FCS playoffs, right on from uh, North Dakota State, the number one seed down through UCA, Central Arkansas uh, at the number eight seed. Coulter and I, of course, will uh, get you Squared away on Montana and Montana State at the uh, six and five spots, respectively, there. Uh, and so we are happy to have you along. Hope you enjoy uh, this uh, this edition of the FCS Speculators. If you are a veteran of the FCS Speculators podcast and you are aware of the four questions we've done before, well, we've got a version of that here for you in the postseason. We're going to do five questions with each guest. Uh, One question for each round of the playoffs, more or less. Think of it as a metaphor, an analog, however you'd like to do it. That's why we chose to go with five. Obviously, uh, each uh, team will switch out each question based on uh, whoever it is that we're talking to and who they're covering, but the questions will remain the same, and they are these five as follows some of these questions are kind of two for ones as well but what are the expectations of the team heading into the season and have they changed at all since the beginning of the year number two 
what is the playoff history of the school and what level of excitement is there surrounding uh, the uh, said team? Obviously, some teams uh, expect to be there. Maybe there isn't as much excitement. Other teams may be new to the playoffs and are uh, pumped to be there, so we'll get into all of that. Number three, generally from a football standpoint, what should we be looking for uh, regarding the school and the team uh, at large? And then more specifically, question number four, who is one player that we got to keep an eye on, maybe a best player, maybe an X-factor, but somebody that we got to watch in this postseason? And fifth and finally, how will your school – and fifth and finally, how will the team's season end, a.k.a., to say it positively, what type of playoff run could they go on uh, in the postseason? So there are your five questions. We got your eight experts covering the eight seeded teams that all have buys in the FCS playoffs. We thank you for listening. We start off at the top, North Dakota State, the undefeated buys and number one in the nation, number one seeded team again, Sam Herter joining us. My name is Sam Herter. I'm the senior FCS analyst for the website Hero Sports. I, I cover the FCS nationally, but some of the conferences uh, specifically that fall under my focus are the Big Sky and the Missouri Valley. And I also uh, I kind of got my start covering the FCS as a student at North Dakota State. I went there uh, from 2011 to spring of 2015. So uh, I, I lived in Fargo for a number of years. I've covered the team pretty closely. I also wrote for Bison Illustrated a little bit post uh, graduation. So I'm, um, you know, pretty familiar with NDSU and its historic run that they're on right now. I think expectations were, were still sky high, uh, especially from the fan base. I mean, the, the, the fans didn't shy away from booking their flights and their hotels in Frisco, Texas once last year ended. Even with the new look coaching staff and all the new starters, uh, I think a lot of people realize the, the talent this team had coming in and some of the talent they had waiting in the wings. So I think from the team perspective, um, you know, now that the regular season has ended, you know, Matt Ants has told the media that, yeah, the seniors, their goal was to win um, or was to go 12-0 during the regular season and set themselves up for a run for the national title. So we all know the ultimate expectations are to win a national championship for this team. They, they don't they don't really discuss that during the regular season. They just kind of say the cliche, go 1-0, you know, win the Missouri Valley, and then from there, you know, take it one game at a time in the playoffs. But we all know deep down, ultimate goal for the Bison is win a national championship. and. You know, the one year they've won seven of the last eight, and the one year they didn't was in 2016. And, you know, while it was certainly a successful season for the Bios and making it to the semifinals, you know, it ends in disappointment. So, yeah, ultimate goal is always to get that win in Frisco for the Bison. The Bison are a relatively young program when it comes to the FCS. They made the transition from D2 to the FCS, and it was somewhere around 2003, 2004, uh, one of their bigger wins way back then uh, was against Montana. Uh, actually, when Montana was a powerhouse and NDSU was a D2 team transitioning up to the FCS and, you know, knocked off Montana in Missoula, and that kind of gave people an idea of, okay, you know, maybe this program can, uh, you know, can compete uh, with, with some of the powerhouses at the FCS level. And, you know, for those first few years, NDSU was ineligible for the playoffs uh, due to the transition, but I believe they became eligible for the playoffs in 2008 or 2009 and once 2010 hit, the Bison hit, uh, made the playoffs for the first time, went out to Cheney, Washington for the quarterfinals, and almost knocked off Eastern Washington. It was an overtime game, and you know Eastern Washington went on to win the national championship. And I think that season, that 2010 season, kind of gave NDSU the, the football program of you know kind of the idea of you know we can actually compete with some of these top teams. And ever since then, 2011 was 
was the first national championship, and then they won five in a row. Didn't win it in 2016, and then won it in 2017 and last year. So it's been seven of the last eight, and you know, just has been on a tear during the 2010s. I think one thing you know to, to look at um, is just to see you know how how fresh are these guys, and you know how much more explosive are they. It seems that you know in the valley you get beat up uh, a little bit throughout the year, and having this bye week, you know certainly it helps the Bison. And one thing that, that has led to NUSC winning all these national titles, is it seems they're playing their best football, you know, when it comes to the playoffs. You know, some teams kind of limp into the playoffs and they don't perform at their best in, in the postseason bracket. But NDSU, you know, routinely year after year, they always take things up a level uh, when it comes to the playoffs. And you can just see that in their, ex- in their execution, their explosiveness. And, you know, this is a young team. It's a new-look team. So that's one thing I'm curious about is if, this team kind of fits that mold of the past teams as far as, all right, it's playoff time. You know, we're stepping up our game in, in a big-time way. The easy answer is Trey Lance, and I'm going to stick with that, the redshirt freshman quarterback. I mean, he hasn't really been in a high-pressure situation this season. There, there have been some, um, but he hasn't really had to lead a, you know, a, a, a seven-point deficit comeback win with, with three minutes left or, or anything like that. And, you know, if he does get into a situation – like that in the playoffs, it'll be interesting to see how we react to that. And I think the thing is, too, I mean, all of NSU games are on ESPN Plus, so I feel like a lot of fans have probably watched Trey Lance, but there will be more eyes on him, obviously, you know, in the playoffs and the deeper this team goes in the playoffs. And I think people will realize just how good this guy is. I mean, he has good numbers, but when you watch him play, I mean, he's playing like a retro senior out there. He's already looking just like Easton Stick, and Easton Stick was a fifth year senior last year in an NFL draft pick. So Trey Lance. Uh, he's the real deal, and I think uh, FCS fans that may have not seen him play this year, they're going to watch him play and go, "Oh man, this guy's a redshirt freshman." Uh, I don't think I don't think NSU's going anywhere anytime soon. My prediction is uh, for the Bison to, to win it all this year. It's hard to predict against them. Uh, my matchup in Frisco is uh, NDSU versus James Madison, and I do think that's going to be a close game. I don't think the Bison are going to kind of, you know, cruise to a national championship like maybe they did last year. I think James Madison is closer to the Bison than, than some people think. Uh, James Madison is absolutely loaded with talent and, you know, physical play and, and experience. You know, their quarterback, Ben DiNucci, was just named the CAA Offensive Player of the Year. He's looking really good. So I do think the Dukes can challenge NDSU. Uh, but like I said, you know, the Bison are rolling right now with 12-0. They take they take their game to the next level in the playoffs, and once they do get to Frisco, you know the Bison obviously haven't lost. You know when they have made it to Frisco, and it's usually a home game for the Bison down there. So yeah, NDSU is my pick to win it all. I do think they they could get challenged down in Frisco, uh, but ultimately I think the Bison are winning their eighth title in nine years. You can read our our content at HeroSports.com, and you can also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Sam Herder FTS. So I'm the James Madison football beat writer at the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Basically cover the team 365 days a year, so around the Dukes quite a bit and, and, and very often. This is a program with, with super high expectations year in and year out. I, I think coming into this year, based on kind of what happened last year when they went up in, in the second round of the postseason lost to a Colgate team that I think they feel they were more talented then, but but lost. There were a lot of things going on at that time with Mike Houston on his way out for, for East Carolina uh, when he took the job there. And, you know, there was just a lot going on inside the program at that time. Uh, and they, they lost the game, lost the football game. 
So I think since then they've kind of been on a mission to get back to Frisco. Went, they went to the FCS National Championship in 16 and 17, won it in 16, of course, and they've really maintained that. It's a lot of the same players from the, the, the past couple of seasons for JMU. You know, they're led by a bunch of seniors that have won a lot of games. It's the winningest senior class in school history at JMU. So the expectations have not changed. The, the expectation is to get to the national championship game and win it. Uh, I don't think that's changed at all. It's really fascinating because they've been able to sustain success through a number of different coaches. If you look at, of course, the Mickey Matthews era was was highly successful. They won the 2004, what was the 1AA National Championship. I'm sure, I'm sure the folks in Missoula know well uh, over Montana. And then you look, they, after the Matthews era, uh, they hired Everett Withers to kind of get the program uh, back to where it was in, in kind of the peak time under Mickey. And he did that. He got them to the postseason in back-to-back years. And then Mike Houston came in and, and elevated the program to an even higher standard where they went to, you know, the national championship game in 16. They, they won that huge national semifinal in the Fargo Dome, beating North Dakota State uh, to get to the title game in 16 when they eventually knocked off Youngstown State 28-14. to 14 in that game in Frisco, Texas. And then the year after that, they, they continued winning. They went undefeated through the regular season uh, before losing in North Dakota State in that national championship game when the Bison got a little bit of revenge for, for that semifinal loss the year before. So it's become a team that's accustomed to playing long, you know, grueling seasons where they're, they're fighting for the national championship. And now Kurt Signetti is at the helm, and that, that standard hasn't changed. He, he was able to see the program close up the past two years when he was in his previous job at Elon in the conference in the CAA, and he's kind of taken that standard and, and, and kept it there uh, from what, what Mike Houston did in his, in his tenure at the school. So it's really been fascinating to watch, regardless of the coach has been, because the place can attract really talented recruits and has the infrastructure, the money behind it, a, a leader in the athletic director, Jeff Bourne. Uh, it's really been a program that sustained success over the last, you know, half decade. Signetti always talks about how, how much he wants to run the ball and how they want to lean on the running game, but they actually are, are very balanced. You know, he, he, he loves running the football. No, make no mistake about that. Uh, but they, they've found success when defenses stack the box, too. They have a wide receiver in Brandon Polk, uh, Penn State transfer, who, who's added a nice dynamic to the mix this year. Didn't have that real deep speed element at the wide receiver position the past couple of years, and Polk has certainly brought that. He's caught a couple of long touchdown passes in each of the past three weeks for JMU, and, and he's he's really been a nice player, a nice addition to them through the transfer market. He, he has a chance to become only the second 1,000-yard receiver in school history. I believe he only needs like 40-something more yards to reach that number, so he's added a nice dynamic, but uh, the balance on offense between Polk and Ben DiNucci, the quarterback, in a in passing game. And then, of course, what they can do in a running game with a number of different facts. Percy Ajayo Obisay, Solomon Van Horst, Jawan Hamilton. Uh, both Ajayo Obisay and Hamilton went for over 100 each in their season finale, regular season finale at Rhode Island. So it's, uh, it, it's a very balanced offense. And then on defense, it's an aggressive attacking style, really pinpointed on putting pressure on the opposing quarterback between the two defensive ends, John Daka and Rondell Carter, two Buck Buchanan Award finalists. Uh, they, they really have a defensive line that can get to the quarterback without uh, bringing pressure from the second level. I think it's Carter. 
He, he's probably the most complete player they have. Uh, an NFL prospect, for sure, at defensive end. Uh, finished third nationally in tackles for loss with 22 and a half. Also had nine and a half sacks at defensive end. He, he's just, he has the ability to dominate a game and, and make it uh, kind of a nightmare for the opposing offensive tackle. Uh, I've seen it so many times, not only this season, but throughout his career. Uh, and he just keeps getting better. Kind of interesting, some of the matchups that, that you look down the road that could happen. Obviously, South Dakota State, they beat in the 2017 national semifinal. And then, you know, they, they could meet up with Weber State, who's the three seed. Uh, JMU and Weber State, uh, they met in the 2017 national quarterfinal, and JMU beat them on a game-winning field goal. Uh, JMU and Weber State have also scheduled a future uh, home-and-home series. And then you look, you know, maybe Montana, that's a rematch of, what, the 08 uh, national, uh, national semifinals and then the 04 national championship games. So some real fascinating matchups with some history aligned for sure. I think, though, if, if you look at JMU, uh, the, the expectation and the goal, then they've kept it all year uh, as, as good as they've done a, a job of, of keeping it week by week and staying focused uh, on the task at hand. They're, they're pick, their goal, big picture-wise, is the national championship. And I would think, uh, barring any massive injuries, maybe the quarterback or one of their great defensive linemen, I, I would think, Jam, you will get to the national championship game. Find me on Twitter at Medea underscore DNR Sports at Medea underscore DNR Sports. That's M A D I A underscore DNR Sports. And that, that's where you can find You can read all uh, the stories, dnronline.com, at the Daily News Record. Brett Hines, sports editor at the Standard Examiner in Ogden, Utah, covering Weber State. Weber State's expectations this year were to win the Big Sky, um, and I don't think that changed throughout the year, especially early when they played a couple FBS teams tough. It, it looked like that was, they were going to have a team to to contend for the conference title again, and uh, you know, despite losing a ton of experience in their defensive secondary, they made it happen, and uh, the offense made strides. Uh, Defensive front seven is, is solid, and and they they delivered on on the expectations they had for themselves and and what they wanted to accomplish at, to this point in the season. The Weber State's playoff history is not very extensive. Um, uh, you know, going back to 1962, and the you know the Big Sky was formed uh, up until the final year before Jay Hill was hired. Uh, they made the playoff four times, uh, never never gone more than two years in a row. Uh, I think, I guess, obviously, it was only going four times. But uh, Jay Hill has gone four times since taking over in 2014, uh, that, and that is the last four consecutive seasons. Um, and so expectations are high. Um, I mean, when you when you get the two seed and then the three seed in consecutive years, you know, I, the team and, and the fans have an expectation that that you know that would you know at least bear out a semifinal appearance, which. They fell short of last year, um, but the the community is you know Weber State uh, unfortunately kind of plays third fiddle uh, in the in the community here just because of its proximity to, to Utah and BYU. But but the community support is growing uh, and and fan support is is been better and better every time they host playoff games, and especially with the potential of hosting Montana in the quarterfinals. Um, that that would probably draw a pretty big crowd, including a, a contingent coming down from Missoula. So yeah, what to watch for Weber State just on the field is is uh, it it's kind of a blueprint that that 
you know, kind of comes down from maybe the Kyle Whittingham coaching tree. Uh, you know, Jay Hill wants to control the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Uh, and their de- defensive line is, is proven capable to do that on many occasions. Um, and, uh, you know, they basically, they want to, they want to force every team to throw the ball on every down and, you know, secure a lead, however big or small that lead is, make the team throw on every down and, and, you know, eventually force them into inefficiencies and, and hopefully turnovers. And, and that's kind of the, the blueprint. And, uh, that really comes together if Weber State gets its own run game going offensively with Josh Davis and, and you know the the attack they have there. Um, if the, if they can run the ball, uh, then they they are a hard team to beat. One player to watch is a little tough, uh, and as you can see, like with with national and league level awards, uh, Weber doesn't really garner a whole lot of it um, just because they. The kind of the schemes they play, but obviously Josh Davis, the running back, is going to be somebody to watch. Um, you know, reigning national freshman of the year, he he just crossed a thousand rushing yards again this year. Um, you know, despite being banged up um, and and missing out on on some reps that maybe would have come his way. Um, so he's he he's dynamic. He runs hard. He hits the holes. He's fast. He's tough. And uh, there's a reason why he's been as successful as he has uh, this season. That'll be a fun one, in my opinion, because I love I love watching the triple option and both Wofford and Kennesaw State run versions of it, and I think I think that's a lot of fun. And I think, um, in particular, I know I know it's a, a lot more, it's a lot different level of preparation. But I think coaches like Jay Hill kind of relish the opportunity to to scheme for that. They've had a lot of success uh, in the past four years against Cal Poly, and um, seem to have that dialed in. So. Um, and, and beyond that, you know, it's honestly, it's, it's kind of up for grabs. Uh, I think Weber is as good as Montana and James Madison, uh, obviously Montana kind of put the hurt on him up in Missoula and, 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 and was just one of those weird games in the big sky where all the, when every time there was a big game against the top two teams or top three teams, it was a blowout, uh, which is kind of weird, but, um, you know, I, I could see, I could see, you know, I, you get to the quarterfinals, you're in the final eight. All the teams are good, um, so you know it's it's really hard to say it. it. I could see them getting to the semifinals, or I could see them bowing out in the quarters. It depends on uh, matchups and how they how they show up to play in those games. Because because yeah, you're playing the top eight teams, and that's that's a tough road, no matter how you cut it. You can read my work at standard.net/sports as far as writing goes, and on Twitter at WeberHQ. Joe Davidson, Sacramento Bee, been with the Sacramento Bee for 31 years. So um, I like to tell people I started when I was about eight years old, and some people believe it, most don't. Expectations were pretty modest for the Hornets entering this season because the history shows there's been a lot of mediocrity or misery for the Sac State program, even though it's long been considered a a sleeping giant. Troy Taylor is uh, a household name. In Sacramento, he's the first-year coach. He was a high school star just up the road from Sac State at Cordova High School in 1985. He led a team to a 14-0 season. He was sort of a, um, you know, a, a, a groundbreaking player as an option run pass quarterback. He was a Sacramento B Player of the Year. He went down to Cal, 
uh, of the Pac-12 and, and started at quarterback for four years, and then he coached locally for years at nearby Folsom High School and was an offensive coordinator at uh, Eastern Washington of the Big Sky, and then last season with Utah of the Pac-12, and his, his teams just do amazing things on offense. So when Sac State hired him, there was expectations of at least being competitive after Sac State was 2-8 and eight last season. You know, and even the coaches said, hey, you know, we, uh, we're just trying to get better every day. It sounded like a simple answer because they didn't even know. The coaches didn't even know the roster, who the players were. Uh, the coaches came in, 10 new coaches in December. And then once the season got going, um, then I think expectations soared because it's like, hey, this, this is working. It's the same roster as last season. These coaches are making it entertaining and fun. And then, you know, a, a road wins at Montana State. Um, home win against Montana, which was ranked fifth um, at that time. And then it just kept taking off. Now the expectations are keep this machine going. This is a, It's been as remarkable of a story as I've covered in my 31 years at the B, and I've included you know, six or seven years heading our, our Sacramento Kings NBA coverage. Uh, and you know, a lot of high school teams have known, but it's, a, it's been a, a, a real refreshing change for Sac State. Has not been a lot of playoff success. The, the program at Sac State started in 1954, uh, and then um, playoff teams in 1982, 1988 under Coach Bob Manos. That's when Sac State was Division Two, and then this season. And so, just three playoff teams in all those years had a couple of bowl teams. You know, small college bowl teams in the 1960s under Coach Ray Clemens. Then so. Um, and just five conference championships since 1954. And the last one before this season was 1995 under Coach John Bullock. So they've had good people. They've had good coaches. They've had some decent teams. They've had some lean years. And then all of a sudden this just dropped like a thunderbolt of, of feel-good emotions. I think the fans have been waiting for something. It's a pretty big area. I think it's the largest metropolitan area in the Big Sky uh, or among the Big Sky teams, and so people are excited now. Uh, the weather's been good. The the product has been good. The coach is familiar. The a lot of local recruits, um, and when you win, people it, it, that's kind of a reflection of our society. When you win, people catch notice. You know the teams that in the past worked hard, but you know winning is what captures everybody's attention. And Sac State has a stadium, Hornet Stadium, that seats twenty thousand. And for the Causeway Classic rivalry game against um, UC Davis, it's it just about filled up. Um, there must have been quite a party tailgate team because it took a while for everybody to get in. Maybe it was the $1 beer night, which is not true, but that's, that's how you sell the stadium. Um, but they, So people are excited. There's a lot of alumni uh, who live in Sacramento, alumni of Sacramento State. Uh, and, and UC Davis is just you know, a few miles away, and UC Davis had this feel-good vibe last season tied for the Big Sky Championship for its best season in its, in its 100 years of, of football. So this is a good area for football, suddenly at the FCS level. This is a team that's healthy. Um, the coaches, you know, don't, you know, dialed back hitting and contact and practice long, you know, many, many weeks ago to keep them fresh so they're precision sharp. Um, the coaches, Troy Taylor and Chris Richardson and other guys like that, they, um, they don't do the Mike Ditka you know, grab the face mask and just browbeat you. Um, it's something that still works in this country at all levels of play. We see that, but it's not been what they do. Uh, they stress, you know, hey, let's let's you know love each other and care about each other. It sounds 
schmaltzy and clicheish, but it's not when it works, especially when the results are there and the players genuinely like each other. And, uh, and, and winning does that. Winning changes everybody's self esteem. And, and, you know, and I think, um, you know, I think I think this is a real dark horse. You know, how can a number four seed be a dark horse? Well, it's never been in the SDS playoffs. And uh, I could see Stack State winning its two home games. Uh, if it keeps winning, it has a bye. Uh, and then anything's possible. It's, it's going to be a tall, brutal order for anybody to go through North Dakota State. That's just been the, you know, an incredible juggernaut with uh, all those national championships this decade in the FCS level and 15 total, including in Division Two. Sac State's best season before this year was 1988 in Division Two and lost to North Dakota State in the semifinals that year. So a little bit of history repeating itself with a lot of alumni uh, excited and fired up about that as well. I would say the one player that's crucial to this team for the Hornets uh, is the heart and soul of the offense, and that's Kevin Thompson. He's a, uh, a redshirt junior. Uh, he's from the state of Washington. Uh, didn't have much success there, even though he had great numbers and got a scholarship to UNLV and then had Tommy John surgery, which is normally reserved for baseball pitchers, but he just had so much wear and tear just in football and he missed two years and his career looked like it was over. And then Sacramento State had an assistant coach named Paul Wolf who said, we got a scholarship or we have a potential scholarship for you. Would you like to walk on? You bet. And then he earns a scholarship and he started each of the last three seasons. He's played hurt. He's played inspired. He's been banged up. Field turf leaves him with road rash on his elbows, and he's got gashes under his eye. I mean, it's, the coaches call him an alley cat because he's been run over and stumped on and keeps coming back. And I think he's up for Big Sky Conference Offensive Player of the Year um, accolades. He's had some tremendous games. The one game that Sac State lost this season at the SCF level was the Weber State, which was a juggernaut. I saw Weber State just cut Sac State and Houston Davis to pieces. And they knocked him out of that game, uh, clean hit, blindside, and just clobbered him. And he missed the game and then came back. And then he had passed for 300 yards, ran for 124, counted for three touchdowns, including you know the, the, the difference maker uh, to beat UCLA Davis last week. So that's the guy, you know, um, it, it, when, when he's on, uh, that seems really in, impressive. And on defense, I'm going to squeeze one more. There's a defensive lineman, he's the all-time stack leader, single season and career, George Obina, defensive end. He's had a big year as well. I think it's going to be a great anticipation level and excitement vibe for Sac State to have playoff games. First time since 1988. Uh, I don't think they, I'm researching this. Uh, I don't think Sac State's ever even hosted a playoff game. So this will be new. We don't snow around here, unlike in Missoula and uh, Bozeman and, and other parts of the country, uh, but it gets a little frosty and cool. And um, I can see Sac State winning its home opener against the winner of uh, Austin P and Furman. Uh, Furman's been to 18 FCS playoffs, so a lot of experience there. Austin P relatively new. So I can see Sac State winning that game, and it could get Montana State um, in a Big Sky Conference rematch. And Sac State beat Montana State uh, on the road early this season, which really, I think, alerted the whole Big Sky. So, okay, we've got something here uh, with Sac State, you know, suddenly coming out of nowhere after a two-win season last season. And I could see Sac State winning that game, as long as Kevin Thompson plays well at quarterback and the offensive line protects all those kind of things. And then if um, if all goes, quote-unquote, according to plan, that would likely set up a, a showdown for Sac State at North Dakota State where it gets tough from there. I mean, that's tough for everybody in the SAF level as North Dakota State has owned this classification this decade and, and is the best 
overwhelmingly until otherwise noticed. But even if Sac State were to lose there, to get there uh, just extends the, the, a remarkable season for the Hornets. And if Sac State gets there, well, who knows? Anything could happen. But I, I would, I'm going to stick with uh, you know logic here and, and, and suggest that North Dakota State is the overwhelming favorite with a 33-game winning streak until uh, otherwise noticed. But, but just for Sac State to get into a playoff is, is a remarkable one. To have home playoff games is another remarkable level. And to win any is just the start of a new coaching era that, um, that has this area pretty fired up. Uh, we, we cover Sac State um, you know, quite a bit with insights and columns and previews, and uh, some of the coaches are pretty funny, and some of the players, SacB.com, uh, also on Twitter. Um, Joe D underscore Sack B. Uh, Instagram is Joe Davidson Media. Uh, I don't do Snapchat. I'm not even sure what Snapchat is, uh, but I know uh, I know a lot of people do. And then Facebook, uh, Joe Davidson as well. And uh, it's fun to cover football these days because now you can tap a market for people who aren't even here in Sacramento through social media. Well, very good. And now. We finally get uh, Coulter Nuanas in here, along with myself, to talk about the five and six seeds in the uh, national tournament. The Montana State Bobcats at five and the Montana Grizzlies at six. How's that for symmetry? By the way, at this point, I just want to say thanks. And again, having heard from uh, everybody in order of the seeded team they cover, Sam Herter covering North Dakota State, Greg Medea of JMU, uh, Brett Hine covering Weber State, and then just there, Joe Davidson, an outstanding job uh, for the Sacramento Bee covering Sacramento State. Outstanding stuff from him. Uh, after we're done, we will get to uh, South Dakota State and Central Arkansas, so we'll get to there when we get there. But Coulter, uh, going again in order of the seeds, let's start with the Montana State Bobcats, who are coming off just the most emphatic of beatdowns of their arch nemesis and the team that was expected to win, or at least say favored to win. They were a five-and-a-half-point favorite when the books closed on Saturday morning, uh, the Montana Grizzlies, and it was a 48-14 destruction of the Grizz. So let's go through the five questions. By the way, I guess we should do this as well. You take presumptions as the hosts of the podcast here, but Colton Nuanas covers uh, the entire Big Sky Conference, but particularly the state of Montana, with ESPN Radio and his uh, media company, SkylineSportsMT.com. You can go, obviously, to the website. You can also check him out at SkylineSportsMT on Twitter. I am Gus Tutel, uh, or Ryan, depending on how you want to approach it, and it's really up to you. I leave that to you. At Gus Tutel on Twitter, 1029 ESPN Radio in Missoula and across the state uh, on SWX Montana Television, also covering Montana and Montana State throughout the course of the year. So let's start with the Cats. Uh, They get the huge win. Coulter, what to you was Montana State's expectation in in terms of what this season would be coming into the year and where are they at now have those expectations changed at all i think montana state almost hit the nail on the head in terms of fulfilling expectations when i put pencil to paper before the season started i had the cats at nine and three i just thought their losses were going to be to different teams right i didn't think sac state was going to i thought sac state was going to be better than a lot of people thought i mean they were voted 12th out of 13 teams in the big sky conference right i thought they were going to be more like sixth but still, six to first is a huge jump. Yes. And, I mean, when you really look at the unbalanced schedule, I was thinking about this earlier t- today. Sac State beat all three. Sac State played the other three teams and beat two of them. They're the only team that played the other three teams, and they have a winning record. Everybody yeah. else went one on one against each other. Montana State, Montana, or Montana State and Weber did not play. 
But the Cats, I, I had them losing to Texas Tech. They did. I had them losing to maybe their uh, – Like a UC Davis, At maybe. UC Davis yeah. or at North Dakota or against Montana. I thought they'd probably win two of those three or maybe th- – but I, didn't, I you know I, I thought they were going to be an a eight and two uh, an eight and three Four. an eight and three or a nine and two team going into the Cacarys game mm. and they were an eight and three team that then won the Cacarys game in resounding fashion and they got to nine and three so uh, as far as their overall record it was about right where I thought they would be I thought they would be a seven and one or six and two Big Sky Conference team which they finished six and two in league. The seed though the number five seed was a little higher than maybe I expected. They started the season. Preseason number 16 in the country. They climbed pretty quickly, uh, especially with their win over number 12, Southeast Missouri State, in the non-conference. Yeah. But I thought that they would be a seeded team for sure. And, you know, you're kind of you're kind of splitting hairs when you're talking about the difference between maybe a 5 and a 7, but it is a difference. And so I yeah. thought that Montana State is maybe slightly ahead of expectations. And so much of that comes from the fact that they beat the number 3 team in the country last week. Totally. And when it comes to their expectations heading into the year, I totally agree with you. It ended up being almost right on what we thought it would be, and I think what they were expecting. I mean, I think if you ask Montana State, well, what's what's the next step? And even Jeff Choate said this explicitly in his Monday press conference, the logical next step is to have a seed. They wanted to be Big Sky Conference champions. They're not, but they are a seeded team in the tournament with a bye in the first round, which they have not had in the Jeff Choate era. You know, they they had a losing record. Then they had a, a like kind of a 500 record. Then they made the playoffs, won a playoff game last year, but it was a home game in the first round. Then they get crushed by NDSU. This year, uh, you know, an opportunity to make maybe a little bit of a run. And so they, they are in a, a good spot. When it comes to uh, what has Montana State's uh, 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 playoff history looked like Coulter because this is a team that's made plenty of appearances in the postseason including winning the 1984 national championship uh, but has not been there as much as their rival Montana in the postseason but give us a little bit of the 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 sort of more recent history of Montana State in general. Well it is basically all recent history because the FCS became a division in 1978 and Montana State won the sixth one division one double a national championship in 1984 they did not return to the playoffs until 2002 it's crazy and then in 2002 they lost in the first round of mcneese mcneese state 2003 they also lost in the first round 2006 they won their first playoff game in count them up 22 years when they beat Furman, and then they lost to the eventual national champion app state the next week um, 2010, they lost in the first round, even though they're the Big Sky Conference champions. They've won playoff games in 2011 and 2012. Those were conversely the first two playoff game playoff wins for Rob Ash in his 38 year coaching career. Yeah, he spent most of it at Drake, where which was a non playoff eligible team, but still sort of amazing. Montana State's made the playoffs now 11 times in their history, and they have only won four playoff games aside from the four that they won in 1984. In one year, right, right. One of those playoff wins came a year ago. So it, it's interesting because I think that as you talk about the incremental progression that Jeff Choate has predicted, they have hit the mark each year. But I think one thing that's lost on Bobcat fans and lost on maybe people in the Big Sky Conference is that if the Cats were to win two playoff games, that would be a historic run. It would be the greatest run in a generation, even if they just say they win two playoff games and then they get whipped at NDSU. It's still the greatest season in the last 35 years in school history. No doubt. Um, 
part of this question is like kind of a two-part question is how much excitement is there heading into this year's playoffs the, the reason those are connected questions is because a lot of schools who maybe don't have much of a playoff history the fact that they're there there's going to be tremendous excitement and for teams who are perennially there it's kind of run of the mill and so it kind of you take the temperature for montana state though and for montana actually as well the excitement surrounding the playoffs is absolutely tied to how did you do in the cat grizz football game and montana state Going to the playoffs is any team going to the playoffs doesn't matter who you are. It's a big deal. You got to get there. It's a, it's a big deal. Having a bye is significant, like you said, because it hasn't happened very often for Montana State in their history. But having a bye coming off a shellacking of Montana, I think Cat fans are flying so very high right now, and the excitement is uh, is just at an all time benchmark right now, and is probably just going to grow uh, over the next couple of weeks as they await uh, their uh, you know their opponent. the The outcome, by the way, for for Montana State, they are waiting to see the Albany Central Connecticut State winners. That's who's going to go to Bozeman and play the cats Coulter next question here uh what should we be watching from a football standpoint from the program in general obviously Troy Anderson's health is significant he was out of the the cat grizz game of all the games you didn't think that the guy would miss and that's the one that he does miss he still this is unbelievable you just came just came out today as we're recording this first team all big sky conference Offense and defense, both first, sides. First player in the history of the two platoon era in the Big Sky Conference, certainly. And I, I don't think I'm going out on a limb and saying it's he's the first guy ever in any conference. It's never happened in, in the two platoon era. Call it 1960 on. I, I just don't think there's any way that that's happened. And, and he's done it, being I don't know what on average 70. percent I mean. Uh, of health yeah. i mean it's it's just crazy anyway that's a significant part of this team but in general coulter you look at the football side of montana state heading into the playoffs what do people need to be paying attention to well first and foremost the physicality jeff Cho said it after the game we've been the most physical team in every single game that we've played except for the two games that we lost and that's why we lost and so when montana state plays as the more physical team they win basically across the board that it, it's a sample size that's tried and true for at least two years and uh, th- because of that physicality, they've been so good in November. I mean, th- this is a team that won four in a row last year in November to get into the playoffs and then won a playoff game. This is a team now that's won four in a row in November to go into the playoffs, and they look like they have a pretty winnable playoff game regardless if they play Central Connecticut State or Albany. So this is a team that's going to run the ball early and often, but not necessarily in an I-formation halfback dive sort of way. They're going to come at you with every run concept that there is, whether it's Gap scheme or counter or power or fly sweep, jet sweep, option, speed option, triple option, zone read option. They run every single run concept that I can really think of. And the brilliance of it is that they only have basically three blocking schemes. Zone blocking, gap scheme blocking, and RPO style-ish yeah. blocking. But the the what's, what's happening up front is simple. It's everything that happens before the snap and right at the snap that's complicated. But it's going to be an incredibly hard style for teams to prepare for. On the defensive side, they've only given up 400 yards one time since conference play started. Over their last four games, the average score for Montana State Bobcats team is 41-12. to 12. Yeah. And, and if you really dive even deeper into the stats, one of those touchdowns came on a trick play from North Dakota. One of them came against Montana State's third-string defense against Southern Utah. One of Northern Colorado's two touchdowns was a pick six. The other was against the third string. So you're talking about 14 points that were scored by uh, UC Davis and 14 points that were scored by Montana. That's it. Defense has been lights out as well. So they are 
a tough-minded team, both sides of the football. Yeah, the one thing that I would look for uh, surrounding this football team, and, and Coulter, you really alluded to it, but it's the lines. The offensive and defensive line, and again, just to put this into a statistical perspective for you, for what it's worth, gained 383 yards, 382 yards 382 rushing. Yards, 382 yeah. yards rushing against Montana, gave up 46 yards on the ground. Part of that, again, and I hate this, because Isaiah Fonse ran for 77, or excuse me, uh, Marcus Knight ran for 77 yards. Right. So the the Grizz actually picked up something like 100 yards or whatever on the ground, Don't but there's six sacks in there, so that turns into negative rush yards. The point, nonetheless, is, I mean, the sacks are still contributed to the lines, if I'm not mistaken, generally, totally. and so uh, what, what Montana State is up front is, is uh, well, at this point, you got to say it's about as good as it gets. Uh, next question, Coulter, who's one guy to watch on Montana State? I'm going to take the obvious answer, and you can take a dark horse if you want to, but the the obvious answer is Troy Anderson, and it's surrounding his health, uh, plain and simple. He went down with what appeared to be a shoulder or upper arm uh, injury in the UC Davis game. Didn't think he was even going to come back, then did, then got his uh, standard once to twice a game ankle roll while he was running a football in the second half of that game and and uh, came back again, but then was not available against Montana State or against Montana in the in the Montana State Montana game. Uh, he has a week off. That's obviously a big thing. Jeff Choate said so explicitly. I, obviously, Coach Choate isn't going to say, even if he does know, and maybe he truly doesn't know what, what Troy Anderson's status will be. But, you know, when he says things like, you know, we'll see, he's a quick healer, that kind of thing, it seems like this is a significant injury. We've heard some rumors. We're not going to repeat rumors on the air. I think he, identifying where he's going to be in two weeks' time on December the 7th, though, obviously major for Montana State, though they demonstrated they can be a pretty good team even without their best player. Certainly. I would put out two players to really watch. One of them you're not going to watch him because he plays left tackle, but I think Mitch Broad is the best offensive player on this team. I think he's one of the best offensive linemen in the United States of America. He's a future NFL guy, and he has been the absolute catalyst from both a physical and execution standpoint as well as a leadership standpoint to Montana State leading the Big Sky Conference in rushing. But I would also throw out Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a Swiss Army knife. He has over 500 yards receiving. He's got over 500 yards rushing. And Troy Anderson is this amazing, diverse, smart, versatile player. But in terms of pure athleticism, Travis Johnson might be the best athlete on the team. He might yeah. be the best athlete in the country. I mean, as far as putting him on the gun and seeing what he could run a 40 in, what his vertical is, and, and, you know, just, how much just, he could lift. I mean, just his, <laughs> his lean, his ripped, lean yeah. muscle mass. Yeah. I mean, he he's a freak athlete. There's a reason why he was a, a top 10 recruit in the country coming out of high school. And he's a guy that I know is really trying to peak as his uh, career comes to an end. Last question, Coulter, uh, and we'll both take a stab at this, but how do you see the postseason playing out? The, the negative way that this is stated, how does this team's season come to an end? But the, 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 the positive way to say it is, what kind of postseason run do you think Montana State's capable of going on? They're hosting on December 7th. Again, the winner uh, between, uh, not between, uh, or excuse me, between Albany and Central Connecticut State. Uh I think you and I would both be on the same page that we would expect Montana State to win that football game at home in a, a week's time or a week and a half. Now, the only caveat to that is, you know, 
reloading after a very emotional win, but I do think the buy is just hugely beneficial to kind of get back down to the baseline emotionally, recharge a little bit mentally, and also obviously the health standpoint that we already talked about. After that, Montana State is going to take on the winner of the Sacramento State and whoever they play, Austin P or Furman. Uh, Sacramento State's been great this year. I anticipate a Sacramento State-Montana State matchup in the in the uh, quarterfinals. Sacramento State handled Montana State in Bozeman easily the first time they played. I think it's harder to do that a second time around. These are two different teams. What did what did Jeff Choate say? You're you're not the same team you were yesterday. You're not the same man you were yesterday, right. right? So you're certainly not the same team or the same man you were two months ago. But nonetheless, Sacramento State has been great. I think that would be an unbelievable matchup. I hope we get to see it. Uh, I think it would be fantastic in the quarterfinal. And I think that's a coin flip football game. I really do. The game would be played in Sacramento. Uh, so obviously, you know, advantage there. But also Montana State would be coming off of a playoff win and with a huge amount of confidence. And I think that with a little bit of retribution on their mind because they were they were put to sleep in their own stadium by a really good Sacramento State team and I think that they would like an opportunity to avenge that obviously in a playoff situation and I don't know if I even have a prediction if that's what comes to best you think first of all is there is there any way that either Central Connecticut State or Albany I mean wins obviously in in the context of any game any team can win it but I mean Montana State should win that game right Oh, absolutely. I think it's the best first-round draw of anybody in the bracket, unless maybe like San Diego upset Northern Iowa. Because if I'm not mistaken, Central Connecticut State in the Northeast Conference... They're 11-1. and one. They're 11-1, and one, but they're, I don't believe that they're fully funded. And if they are, that's new. I believe... I mean, the Northeast Conference... And you're is, talking about from a scholarship standpoint. Yeah, the Northeast Conference... And I, I, I shouldn't talk out of place here. But I know for a fact that Monmouth and Stony Brook both left the Northeast Conference because... They were not. They wanted to become a full sixty-three scholarship team, right? And that league didn't have it. They might be now, but if they are, they're in their infancy. It's they're just it's just mid majors, and Albany is a, a team that's kind of new on the scene, and so I think it's a better draw for Montana State in terms of how is this team's season going to end or what are their playoff prospects? I think it's unfortunate that they're on the same side of the bracket as another Big Sky team, and that would be your potential quarterfinal matchup, only because. I think Montana State has a style that's incredibly hard to prepare for on short notice. Sacks already prepared for it. They already did a really good job stopping it. So they have a game plan. On the other side of that, though, maybe maybe Montana State can throw in some wrinkles on Sack is not expecting. And you know, it's hard to beat a team twice in one season. Well, and and as Jeff Schultz said too, coming out of that Sacramento State, it was a huge learning moment for Montana State because they, from a, especially from a coaching standpoint, they fell into a bunch of tendencies and were exploited exploited across the board. Uh, it would be a tendency-breaking type of game. They're going to do something completely different, certainly against Sacramento State the second time around. But Sac State is just – they're outstanding. There's unbelievably well-coached and, and outstanding players at key spots. George Obina, Kevin Thompson, they're a great football team. Culture quickly, though, because we're running short on time here on Montana State. If Montana State was to get by, and presumably on the other side of that is North Dakota State, who stomped them out of the playoffs last year, and was, uh, again, an on-the-record eye-opening moment for Jeff Choate to say, okay, this we're not close in terms of the national level of this. What do you think would happen? What do you think it would look like for Montana State in a national semifinal to go into Fargo and play NDSU? Well, it would look better than it did a year ago. They've got to have Troy Anderson healthy. For sure. 
I'm not. I'm not I, sitting here I, asking I, I you to pick no, Montana no, I, State. I mean, Nobody I still, is. <laughs> but but <laughs> here's the ridiculousness that is North Dakota State. Montana State is probably two to three touchdowns better in that game than they were a year ago, which would mean they would still lose by two right. to three touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, let's move over to the Montana Grizzlies, who are the number six team in the nation. They were the number three team in the nation before they got uh, crushed uh, in the Cat Grizz game again, 48-14 on the last week of the season. A hugely deflating and frankly embarrassing loss for the Montana Grizzlies. Nonetheless, an outstanding season in their own right, 9-3. and three. They lost two FCS games on this season and then one to Oregon. And they, you talk about handing somebody a loss the weber state game who was the number three in the team in the nation at that time came in and got absolutely whipped by this montana grizzly team two weeks ago and so it's you know it's a weekend week out sort of deal uh let's start with montana what was their expectation heading into this season and how have they changed since the beginning of the year at all if at all i had montana at either seven and four or eight and three coming into the cackers game and they ended up being nine and two and then they lost that game to finish nine and three. So I think they were about. You know, I, I I always pick it out right to the Cat Grizz game, and then that game is always a coin flip. This year it turned out to not be a coin flip; it turned out to be a boat race. It was, it was a it was a two catted coin, is what it no was. No doubt. But either way, I thought Montana would be right in the eight and four to nine and three range, and they had a chance to be ten and two, which I think means they exceeded expectations. They finished right at nine and three. I thought this was going to be a playoff team that would maybe flirt with the 7 or 8 seed. They're a playoff team. They got the 6 seed. So I think you can say that they slightly exceeded expectations. I think they significantly significantly exceeded expectations. I expected them to be a playoff team. I expected them to be playing this Saturday, not a week from this Saturday. Uh, and the fact that they were the number 3 team in the nation, look, everybody looks at this last football game that they played and and rightfully so, and you go, okay, where are you at? But taken in, in, in total, a nine and three team, and really nine and two against the FCS, and the teams that they beat, and the way that they beat them, again, still to this day, Montana has not played in anything less than a fourteen point football game. But even their very own coach, Bobby Houck, said uh, this team is a, a year ahead of where I thought they'd be, and I agree with that. So I think they have exceeded expectations in the main, although the momentum and the mental emotional state is very much in question now, not just because of the loss but because of the way they lost at montana state uh coulter the montana playoff history it is long it is uh uh impressive they're two-time national champions how many time national runner-up in the uh five in, in one double a and then in uh fcs so seven times in the national championship football game obviously the grizzlies in the early 2000s uh late 90s early 2000s were one of if not the dominant program in the country you know taken over that span ultimately obviously to be superseded by north dakota state and what they've done over the last decade and montana has really fallen off but they've been to they were perennial playoff and seeded and deep run team that fell on hard times we won't get into all of that here if most people listening probably are aware of, of many of the things that transpired in missoula and at the university of montana but that said they haven't been in three years to the playoffs, and now uh, with an opportunity to go, the you would think that the excitement level would be really, really high. It will grow uh, over the next couple of weeks, and I think when Saturday, December 7th comes, whoever's playing in Missoula, it's going to be a, a great atmosphere. It always is at Washington Grizzly Stadium, but right now the excitement about the postseason has been utterly and completely brought to a halt 
and and put on pause and hold because of what happened on Saturday at Montana State. Montana's made the playoffs 24 times, which is the most in the history of the FCS. 21 uh, is the second most by Villanova. I was trying to remember who, who it was mm. by. Villanova is the second most, 21. But Montana made the playoffs 17 years in a row. They won 12 straight Big Sky Conference championships. I mean, some of the great runs in the history of college football, like you said. And I think that the the one thing, Montana is among the great programs in the history of Division One AA or FCS football. But For the sure. one thing that has kept them from being considered absolutely the best, the number one team, is twofold. One, the rise of North Dakota State, obviously, and their <laughs> complete and utter dominance of that crown because of just this insane decade sure. that they've had mm-hmm. but also just the fact that montana lost five out of their seven national championship games say they went four out of seven mm-hmm. now they're right there with app state georgia southern mm-hmm. youngstown state and they are still they are still in this conversation but i think you'd say they're better than those teams if they just won two more yeah. or three more yeah and the thing i think that is uh bad taste in a lot of grizz followers mouths is that in the 2004 game james masson you talk about the field conditions and all that. James Madison ran down their throats. James Madison was the better team. Montana was the better team in 2008 and 2009. They just let the game slip away. There was a whole bunch of circumstantial stuff that happened. But regardless, that was a long time ago. That was 10 years ago. And all the players on the Grizz now, those guys were in, in elementary and middle school. The last right. time Montana was at that level of dominance. So trying to get back on track has been a, a arduous task, to say the least, for a once-proud program. But it seems to me as if they're – they're on their way back to that level. What should we be watching for with this football team come come Saturday, December 7th? Well, I want to see a renewed sense of confidence because Montana beat everybody that they played <laughs> with the unabashed belief that they were absolutely going to dominate them. And it was crazy to watch Montana play so unbelievably well against Weber State and seven days later play the exact opposite, just in terms of effort and ferocity. It, it they, were, went from, they were scared. They, they got scared. They were they shook. were scary. Yes. And then were scared yes. in the span of seven days, which I think you can, if you spin it the right way, you can be very optimistic about that because all you have to say is, hey, boys, let's never let what happened to us against the Cats happen again. Let's just recapture what we did two weeks ago. It's not as if it was two months ago. It was two weeks ago. Yeah. And so I think that the bye week will be good. Yeah. It's a, a renewed confidence and a renewed health is going to be the key because we talked about the six sacks that Dalton Sneed incurred against the Cats. You can't sack Dalton Sneed six times if he's even sort of healthy. Yeah, he 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 could He'd not be out even, of there. I mean, yeah. he couldn't even move. I heard no. last night that he didn't even practice all week last week, and we saw him at the press conference. You you could see it. I mean, he could barely walk. Yeah, and so that's that's a bummer for him. But as we know with ankles, the only thing that makes him better is time. And a week, even just a week, could help him progress so much. Yeah. Uh, next question, Coulter. Uh, who is the one guy that you will be looking for on the Montana Grizzlies when uh, when the playoff game does come around? One guy. Well, Sammy Akem, if he's back, because that could be a huge factor. But he was rolled around with a walking boot, a cast on his foot, and he had a scooter underneath his leg. And so that does not bode well to me that he's going to be back anytime soon. But if he is back, that's huge. But, I mean... You can look at the, the tackle stats from the Cackers game, and Dante Olson had 18 tackles, but he was not the tone-setting, ferocious playmaker that he had been all season long up into that game. So I'd say Dante Olson because how he goes is how the Montana defense is going to go. 
Uh, I'm going to, again, take the low-hanging fruit here, but I think sometimes cliches are true, and I'm going to take Dalton Sneed. I mean, Dalton Sneed. I mean, that's that's the right answer. Dalton Sneed's health, obviously, on the one hand, and he played – I wouldn't even say he played bad. He played inhibited, and he got – and also, the, the offensive line got completely overrun by Montana State's defensive line, but when he's been at his best, he's been all conference level, perhaps conference MVP level player, and then he's been injured, and then he hasn't been as good. And even on, I mean, he was twenty of thirty four for one hundred ninety five yards, not an awful day uh, per se through the air, even though it ultimately was very ugly for Montana. But it, he's going to be he's going to be critical to this team. Okay, last question on the on the Montana uh, Grizzlies, Coulter. How do you see this postseason playing out for them? And I'll I'll start with this, and I'll let you have the last word. Montana's playing the winner between Southeastern Louisiana and Villanova. I kind of th- I think Villanova is going to win that game, even though it's out s- southeastern Louisiana. And Villanova is a is a battle tested postseason FCS program, so I think it's not not an easy just roll over first round game. That said, Montana should be better, will be better uh, in general than whoever comes in there between those two teams. And here was one mistake I made with with Montana State. I I screamed up and down that when Montana State lost to Sac State, had a bye, and then lost to North Dakota, and then played the two worst teams in the conference in Northern Colorado and Southern Utah, that we weren't going to know anything about Montana State until they played UC Davis. Well, our knowledge of them, maybe, but also, if you win... 48 to 7 or you know 42 to 14 it doesn't matter how good the opponent is you feel great you feel great totally. about yourself and if you rush and for you 450 get right. yards that's man. right so i think that montana takes a week off licks their wounds and if they're going to make any run they have to pound whoever goes to the washington grizzly stadium on De- on december the 7th whether it's southeast louisiana or whether it's villanova i think they need to go in and have a hammer time game and even if it's a game that they're the overwhelming quote-unquote favorite or whatever they need to get some of that taste out their mouth, as it were, and move on into the next round on on something like a roll, or or they simply don't get over it. And look, Bobby Houck said that explicitly. And look again, it was immediately after the game, a little different deal. But there uh, there is a real chance that even with a week long bye, what happened to them on Saturday lingers, and they lose. They just flat lose the football game at Washington Grizzly Stadium. We'll see who the opponent is. We'll see what the matchups looks like. I'm not going to sit here and start predicting about a game where we don't even know the other team playing. But Montana, if they can win that game and win it handily, puts them in a great place, and then guess what? They would likely match up with Weber State at Weber State. And the same thing with Sacramento State and Montana State, but in reverse. Montana would be going in with tremendous confidence because they hammered Weber State. But also, no one... What is it? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Colter is that the deal? Weber State would be licking their chops to have the Montana Grizzlies again. Uh, you know, and this time in Ogden. So that game to me again would be a coin flip game. If Montana won that game, they could go to Frisco, man. Straight up. If they're on a two-game win and they've beaten, yeah, Weber State, I mean, maybe it depends on James. Madison, I mean, James Madison's, James Madison's in the league of their own. They are. They are. I mean, they're in a league of their own because they're in the only league that's of their own behind North Dakota State. For Montana and Montana State, making it to the national semifinal seems like as the, the the best that you would be able to do. Okay, because James Madison and North Dakota State look like they're on a collision course. But you know, it's a one game deal. So there you go. That's where I'm at with Montana and how their postseason will unfold. Yeah, I mean, they have a chance to get hot. I think that when you watch the selection show, though, Jay Hill saw Montana pop up. We were state's head coach, and he looked, he turned around and looked at his team and said, 
boys, if we take care of business, we get the Grizz again. And he 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 was setting up the matchup post game in Missoula. He said, I hope that there's a scenario where the chips fall and we get a chance to come back here. And the fact of the matter is, it's not going to be back in Missoula. I think Jay Hill thought Montana was just going to host throughout until the semis, basically. Because, yeah. Because they just beat Weber. And then his team now gets the three seed and gets home field advantage in that game. Yep. It's going to be a war down in Ogden. There's no doubt. I just think it's a good matchup for the Grizz, though, if you're talking about against Weber. But let's not overlook the first-round opponent. Villanova, you think there's Villanova a- is the number 8 team in the country. I don't know how yeah. they didn't outbid southeastern Louisiana to get that game as a home game. They, right. they have to go on the road, which is a, against a 7-4 and four team that finished third in the Southland, which is the fourth league in the FCS hierarchy. That was weird in itself. I think Villanova had an argument for a seed, at least. Uh, especially over South Dakota State, but South Dakota State had that win over Northern Iowa earlier that kind of was the determining factor. The Grizz are going to have a hard time. I mean, it's going to be a tough matchup for the Grizz. I, let's let's say it like this. The Cats got the five. The Grizz got the six. The Cats got a way more favorable potential matchup yeah. than the Grizz. He's Colton Nuanas. Find him at Skyline Sports MT uh, on Twitter and go to his website, SkylineSportsMT.com, for the best coverage of the Big Sky Conference as a whole, particularly Montana and Montana State. I am at Gus Tutel on the Twitter, at 1029 ESPN on uh, Twitter and Instagram for all the folks looking for what we're doing on the daily and on the weekly in the state of Montana. And now we're happy to jump down to the seventh-seeded team in this playoff bracket, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits and Andrew Holton, who covers them. I'm Andrew Holton. I'm the uh, I'm a sports reporter at the Brigham's Register, and I cover – all of SDSU athletics, and then some high school stuff as well. Well, it's kind of weird because, you know, heading into the year, they have a brand-new quarterback, so the expectations, nobody really kind of knew what they were. I think the expectation was to get to the playoffs, but it wasn't like uh, past years where it was championship or bust. I think it was a little bit less, but um, – Then they go to Minnesota, they give them a game. They actually were winning in the fourth quarter and then um, ended up losing that one. And quarterback Jabori Gibbs, he goes down with a broken thumb, so he misses uh, two non-conference games. Um, And then they get him back, and uh, they were rolling heading into the NDSU game. And he goes down in the first quarter of that game, and it seemed like just the entire mood of kind of the stadium and – fan base and team kind of changed um but then they bring in this kid keaton heidi he's a true freshman and uh they go to indiana state and they uh or excuse me they go to missouri state and they win that one um they almost beat ndsu but uh with heidi and then they lose to illinois state and it kind of you know came down to you got to beat northern iowa if you wanted to seed and they did that and then I don't think anybody thought that they'd lose South Dakota this past weekend, so that was kind of a shock. And then um, I went to the selection show. Um, they had a watch party, and the mood was very down. I don't think anybody thought in that room that they'd get a top eight seed, and they end up getting the seven seed. And it kind of felt like they uh, brought new life to the team now. I mean, I know talking to uh, Coach Stiglmeyer, he says, you know, it's a new season, and I think uh, they're uh, ready to go, it seems like. Well, obviously, when you had a guy like Taron Christian, I think last year especially and the year before that, when you get a top four seed, 
Um, the or I guess they were the fifth seed the last two years, but uh, the excitement I think was a lot more. I think this year you've got a backup quarterback. Um, it just doesn't feel as exciting because of that. And I think, uh, I mean, last year I know it was championship or bust, and both of those years that they were top five seed, they came up short, and they probably played some of the worst games of the year, uh, or the worst game of the year in both those semifinals. But um, this year, yeah, I think the excitement, I mean, it's still there. I know a lot of fans are excited that they're not on the same side as NDSU because it seems like I think it's been three out of the last six years they've faced NDSU in the playoffs and lost. So uh, I think that has a little bit of excitement. Obviously, they're excited to have a home playoff game, but I think the excitement is a little bit less knowing that you don't have you know your full roster. Well, their defense has played phenomenal. I mean, their defense has carried them since Gibbs went down. Um, I think, really, if you take away turnovers from their offensive side of the ball they'd probably be giving up between 10 and 15 points a game that's how good they've been playing here in the Missouri Valley um but really what's really cost them in these last two losses to Illinois State and uh uh South Dakota were turnovers they had four turnovers in each of those games and I think it resulted in uh I believe I know South Dakota it resulted in 14 points and uh, Illinois State, it was a couple touchdowns as well. So, really, I think what you need to look for is, uh, well, they, they're supposed to be getting Pierre Strong back, their star running back, so that'll be good. He's missed the last two games with a uh, knee injury, or he went down against uh, Northern Iowa with a knee injury, and then he missed the South Dakota game. But um, I think they're going to want to try and get the run game going again because before um, the Illinois State game, they were averaging over 230 yards rushing per game, and since then, uh, they haven't rushed the ball as well. But I think they'll try and get that going. And then as long as they don't turn the ball over, I think they, they'll be in every game. I think their defense is that good. Um, they don't, they're especially good in the red zone. They hold people to field goals, uh, don't give up many touchdowns. So I think um, – their defense is really to what what you should be looking out for. It's got to be uh, Kay Johnson. He's a junior wide receiver. Um, he's led the Missouri Valley in touchdown catches and yards the last two seasons. Um, he's just a dynamic playmaker, really fast. He's not very tall, but when he gets out in space, whether it's after the catch or just running past you on routes, uh, he's a really fun player to watch, and I would expect more of the same in the playoffs. Yeah, I think they will face Northern Iowa. I mean, I don't know a whole lot about San Diego, but I just think Northern Iowa, they're a tough physical team. I think that they'll probably end up being too much for them. And I think in that game, I mean, it's going to be, it'll help being at home, but South Dakota State, they've had trouble all year besides that North Dakota State game, getting people to come out, um, whether it's weather or just ticket prices. It's been kind of tough, so I don't know how great of a home field advantage it'll be, but I think that they'll be able to squeak that one out, and then I think they'll probably have to go against James Madison, and I think James Madison will end up just being too much for them there. You can go to brookingsregister.com. That's where all the stories and stuff, and then Brookings Register on Facebook. And then uh, our Twitter account is BRKGS Register. Uh, that's the Twitter account, and you can find stories on there as well. 
My name is Justin Acri, and I have been doing the play-by-play for the last handful of years, and I've been involved in the broadcast as an analyst or play-by-play voice for 12 years. And Actually, this is my 13th season, and I do play-by-play for basketball for Central Arkansas also for the last six. And I'm also the general manager and a host of the ESPN affiliate in Little Rock. So we're, we cover UCA. I do it on a regular basis with the play-by-play, and then I'm also, you know, we talk about UCA. We have a segment with Coach Brown every week on my show, and uh, as a station, obviously, we cover Central Arkansas because of the success they've had in recent years. So they probably get a little more attention than maybe some FCS schools do in some other markets. Maybe not yours, but, but some others. Their expectation is exactly what they've accomplished here. Now, I don't know that anybody anticipated they would go and beat Western Kentucky, but in our open, I got a quote from Coach Brown as we were preparing for the season, and that was one of the things he talked about was, you know, we expect to be playing into November and December. Now, the Bears have not had a lot of postseason success, so playing into December uh, is not a real common thing because a lot of times it's been a one-and-done situation for them, and when they did get a national seed a couple of years ago, it didn't work out very well as they lost at home. So, but this is always their expectation. They feel like they've got what it takes to compete at the very top of the Southland Conference, which typically means you're going to get a playoff appearance. And this is the expectation for them now. That's where they feel the program is. Well, I think there's a ton of excitement because people in Arkansas are looking for something else. And, you know, unlike in some other states, you guys know about this, you know, FBS football rules the way here with Arkansas, and they have been in the absolute doldrums for the last two years. And so people are looking for something else. Arkansas State's been very good, and Central Arkansas has probably gotten a lot more attention than normal because of that. We've got a couple of Division II teams that also had a great year. They've just finished up and lost in the playoffs. So there's a lot of attention being paid to what's going on with Central Arkansas. They really are the gold standard for football in the state as far as success goes comparatively to, you know, whether you want to look at D3, D2, and FBS, FCS. They have been better than anybody. So they've got a lot of attention because they're going to be the only team still playing into December. Well, the passing game, because the running game has been non-existent, to be frank, most of the year. The last two games, they've actually run the ball reasonably effectively, and that was supposed to be a strength. They had a a returning offensive line, uh, an all-conference potential All-American, we thought, at left tackle with Hunter Watts, and it just never really came together. And, you know, you got great running backs. I feel like Carlos Blackman is the first running back we've ever had at Central Arkansas that had NFL potential. And he just hasn't had the kind of production that we anticipated, a lot of it because of the offensive line. Well, now you look at the end of the year, and not because of injury, but because of guys getting beaten out, we have two true freshmen starting on the offensive line, which isn't necessarily a recipe for success. But what's incredible is this team only has two senior starters on offense and one on defense. So they have so much coming back in the, in the coming years. Um, but, yeah, the passing game has been dynamic. We lost our number one receiver, Lawan Winningham, uh, a few games ago to a broken arm, but he'll be back next year. And Tyler Hudson is a guy I would really watch. I mean, Braylon Smith has has been phenomenal. He's set a single-season passing mark for Central Arkansas this last weekend with the win over Incarnate Word. He's been fantastic, and, of course, he went down early in the season last year. But Tyler Hudson, the kid that got out of Houston, I still was just talking to the athletic director. I have no idea how they got him. He has no business being here. This kid should be playing, I think, high-level, probably Power 5. Uh, football. He's a 6'2", 185-pound freshman who jumps as well as anybody I've ever seen, high points the ball. He's the king of the back shoulder. I mean, he's he's had two games with hat tricks. I mean, he's he's just freaky talented and just spectacular at getting open. He's not afraid of anybody. He had a guy trash talking him the whole last game. Never backs down. Just really outstanding. He's only. I mean, he's a true freshman. It's remarkable. So that's really been fun to watch watch uh, to kind of take place. And we'll just see if they can continue. They've had games where you know teams have put high safeties over and not let them get deep, and and they've struggled. I mean, you saw what happened in the Southeastern Louisiana game a couple of uh, games ago, and. Certainly that's a playoff team, and they've got a lot of talented kids. They had a great plan, and uh, their backup quarterback had a really big day against Central Arkansas, but 
Uh, I like what they do in the passing game, and, and the key is can they run it enough to keep the defense honest. We will spend the next two weeks in church praying for a North Dakota State upset, obviously, because we don't want to go there because we know what that means. Uh, I'd love to see Nichols get over at home and then end up with a rematch in the conference. It'd be great for the Southland Conference. I don't know if our commissioner, Tom Burnett, could take it. His head might explode if that happened, but it would be awesome. But, I mean, yeah, in all likelihood, sure, I like the Bears' chances of winning on their home field. Uh, especially if it's a team in Illinois State that has to travel two weeks in a row and we're, you know, fresh. So I hope that means something. I don't know. But those are two really quality teams. And, and like I said, I mean, this team has not had a lot of success in the postseason. It's one thing to roll through your conference. And really the Bears went through this a little bit in Division Two too, where they would roll through their conference and then get to the postseason and fall flat a little bit. But you got to like their chances there. And then, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's too much of a stretch of my imagination to say they're going to go beat North Dakota State on the road in Week 2 or 3, I guess it would be. But uh, it certainly would be a great experience, and I'm all about that. And I think for the program, it definitely gives you a great measuring stick as what the top of the uh, the whole FCS looks like. So, I mean, it's not going to be any tougher than it would be in that game for them. And, and certainly they're going to have a team the following year that will be as good as any they've ever had from a talent standpoint since they moved to Division One. Yeah, I'm on uh, Twitter at Justin Acri7. That's Justin A-C-R-I-7. And uh, 103.7 The Buzz is our radio station, K-A-B-Z-F-M in Little Rock. And uh, we're a 100,000-watt stick. we got an app. We've gone online. I mean, we do all the normal stuff. And uh, we cover a lot of different sports. But we certainly love football down here, as you guys do there. And we are paying a lot of attention right now to Central Arkansas. They're kind of the last of the Mohicans when it comes to uh, football in the state of Arkansas. Excellent. Thank you, Justin. Uh, and our best to every team in this playoff field. December 7th, obviously going to be another huge, huge Saturday around the country at the FCS level. So best of luck to all the teams involved. And just wanted to run through and say thank you again to everybody who participated in this with us, helping us learn a little bit about the teams they cover. Sam Herter, Greg Medea, Brett Hine, Joe Davidson, Andrew Holton, and as you just heard, Justin Ackery. We appreciate all of them. Colton Nuanas. Well, I even appreciate you as well. You can find Coulter and I on the social medias at Skyline Sports MT, at Gus Tutel, and on Twitter and Instagram at 1029 ESPN, uh, the station in Missoula that we run. So happy Thanksgiving from all of us to all of you. Enjoy your holidays, and don't forget to check out the other FCS Speculators, a betting podcast episode that dropped this week. Uh, the uh, first round of the playoffs covered there, so you get them both. And then we'll be back next week once we know the matchups, and we'll go through the final 16 with lines and everything for you on FCS Speculators. Thanks for listening. Happy holidays. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org.